What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ninth episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today, I have with me Myra Taylor. She is an integrative therapist. She's also master certified in mental and spiritual wellness. How are you doing today? I am doing uh, wonderfully. How about yourself? Not too bad. You know, very uh, spiritual day, so I guess it kind of fits in with having you on, because like we were saying before we started, everything happens for a reason, so... I guess we'll get started with uh, uh, synchronicity is an excellent convergent point for both spirituality and psychology. So there you go. (laughs) I actually had a couple weird synchronicities happen today that I have to mention, too, if we're going to get into that part first. Uh, So there's this dispensary that's by my house and I drive past it and it's called Rush and they use the Rush logo. And I've never seen it before till today. And when I see that Rush starts playing on the radio. 
And then another one, I started talking about how I was eating sushi last night. And then there was a commercial that popped up for sushi on the TV as I was saying it. So kind of kind of weird things. Yeah, welcome to the awareness of uh, how the world's always been working. <laughs> we just most of us don't have a quite enough mind or a quite enough reality to notice that that's sort of the conversation that's always been happening between our mind, you know, our conscious mind and what it consumes and our subconscious integrations that then become projections uh, that manifest for us for the most part. You know, it depends on the environment you're in, but the quieter you can get your mind and your environment, the more synchronicities you will uh, align with and you'll and notice. The coolest thing about them is, uh, you know, that they're really personal. So there's probably some deeper symbolic stuff for you when it comes to rush maybe your relationship with time, <laughs> uh, you know, subconscious belief systems around time, that sort of thing. Uh, ironically, that's been a synchronistic theme for me even today with my clients. I always have some weird synchronicities where it's generally for me, I'll be talking about something and then it'll pop up. It's almost like manifesting because I'm thinking about it at the time where it's been, it's happened so frequently that at a certain point you stop seeing it as like, oh, you know, it's just a coincidence. You start realizing that it's, it happens and you manifested it yourself by thinking about it. Yes, well, the good news is there's lots of science that's now proving that the some of the oldest forms of mysticism and spirituality were correct, that mind over matter is uh, pretty much how the universe works. <laughs> and I'm sure that just like me and just like everybody else, the farther you dig into this community, the more and more you start to realize these things because you start tuning yourself into noticing these things like you were saying. Yeah, it's a wonder, it's a, you know, they talk about the emotion of wonder, but it's a wonderful experience. Every time it happens, there's this part of you that just lights up and it and realizes how special and important you are within, you know, creation. Basically, I, I, that's one of my favorite things about synchronicity is it. It's this personal rapport that's present for everyone simultaneously all at once, and yet it has a different personal message for uh, each person that you know conceives it. Basically. I always say life is a matter of perception. It kind of works the same when it comes to all these scenarios. Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, I guess to get rolling here a little bit, uh, why don't you explain what you do exactly? And uh, if people were to try to find you also, like where they would find you. Okay. So I am an integrative therapist. And basically what I do with therapy that's a little bit different is that I approach it from a more spiritual or ritualistic sense. Um, so I understand that the average person has a uh, spiritual life, whether they believe it or not. Uh, the, the big thing that I work on with folks from the very beginning is belief systems and subconscious belief systems, as well as uh, what I refer to as wellness linguistics, which is teaching folks how to one, pay attention to how you're already using language, because guess what? Turns out it manifests things pretty quickly for yourself, whether you use it in your mind or outside of your mind, but that it's also something to really take conscious responsibility for and change in a way that can really change your reality. So my total purpose with working with folks is to get them to a place of total wellness with themselves and feeling like they have a genuine sense of spiritual purpose and uh, you know empowerment in their life that is personally cultivated by them through working through the sessions. Uh, what exactly does your, like, how would, how, how would a session go? What, what exactly does a, is a session pertain to? So the only thing thematic about any of my sessions is the initial consult to which I have, you know, five or six 
selective questions that are pretty much the same for everyone to give me a good rapport and basis for understanding um, you know, where we're starting from and also some of your existing beliefs and uh, relationships with therapy itself. You know, it's important for me to keep that in mind as a therapist if people have already had, uh, you know, either traumatic experiences with therapy or unresolved experiences with therapy, that that's, uh, you know, a bridge that I, I cross a little bit to help the client feel more comfortable in session. Um, but that, you know, realistically what session looks like is if you, uh, you know, it's a combination of all of the healing modalities that I use in an intuitive way. Uh, so one of the huge things I teach clients too is a reconnection to intuition. And that means in session that, you know, some days we are working on deep generational traumas, uh, you know, shadow work that is connected through familial, uh, you know, familial connections and things like that. Uh, self-acceptance through your own lifetime and all the formats you've existed. But then the next session could be uh, something where you want to talk about, you know, the fight you have with your best friend and that there's, you know, there's no uh, too mundane or too deep or, you know, not deep enough when it comes to session with folks. So each session is entirely guided by uh, the client as far as, you know, what they show up to session ready to work on or what they're interested in working on. And then also, uh, you know, it works a lot around me basically figuring out the right questions to ask the client that get them to a place of self-introspection where they have their own aha moments instead of me sort of uh, giving them to them. Personal revelation is uh, a huge form of how I inject spirituality into the uh, mental health process. And by using it in that way, people get way more in tune with who they truly are and a lot of what they actually really believe about themselves and about the world and their other relationships so that they can be the change that they want to see for their own life and really take the power back. How, uh, how did you exactly get into this line of work? What was, what was your interest? And also, what is like your spiritual background that also kind of built up to the moment of you getting into what you what you do? So I have been extremely blessed and I'm very grateful to have one, um, grown up in an area that's extremely culturally diverse and eclectic. And so, you know, even my high school had over 400 some nationalities uh, and, and therefore kind of cultures that were present in it. So I've always had a lot of exposure to many different formats of culture, but also many different formats of spirituality through culture. Um, and then I've also just been very lucky to have a parent uh, that, you know, made sure we were open to all formats of spirituality. So basically the way we grew up was that we were taught that, you know, spirituality is for you. You're allowed to go through life and learn about all these religions and be curious and inquisitive about, you know, the things that resonate with you and then leave behind the things that don't. So uh, my mom always referred to this as the spirituality shopping cart. So basically you're going to walk into the you know, religion and spirituality store and make sure that if you don't like it, you don't take it off the shelf and you don't put it in your basket. <laughs> So this is uh, the reason I use this metaphor is because sometimes when I have folks that come to me for session work, one of the first things we do is identify some of the voices that have put in formats of spirituality or belief systems that really are not your own. And that in the shopping cart metaphor, it's kind of like you brought a drunk friend along with you that's just like throwing shit into your basket that you don't really want, but you're like walking into the checkout line ready to pay for it. 
So I use I use metaphor a lot, actually, because I think that metaphor and symbology really are the best way to um, integrate some of these ideas in a way that opens people's minds and gets them to think differently. Uh, but, you know, in that metaphor in particular, it's basically to get people to take conscious responsibility for uh, their spirituality or their beliefs and ask themselves if they're working for them. So I'm lucky that I got that base of understanding because now it's something that I teach everyone. Um, I've explored Christianity, Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Shintoism, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, like we had a stint where we studied, you know, understood Mormonism and there was just all sorts of uh, different imbuements for us. And we also learned about a lot of indigenous uh, spiritualities. I was very blessed to have a mom who was interested in sharing about Native American culture with us in that way. So it runs the gamut for me. Now, that being said, I've run into a lot of things through that uh, work and knowledge and research that have given me an idea of some of the accepted belief systems that probably don't work so well for people, but they think it's the only option because it's like, believe this or you're going to the bad place. <laughs> yeah, like the main religion, so to speak? Um, not all of them. And, you know, I think that some of them have evolved quite a bit. You know, interestingly enough, I have, I have Gnostic wellness in my uh, business title because Gnosticism was something that pre, uh, you know, sort of pre-existed the orthodox conceptions that we know today about um you know, sin and, and suffering. They didn't believe in that. And interestingly enough, uh, neither does Judaism. And I think that there are some other formats of spirituality that really don't believe in that underlying storyline of suffering, but that that is actually one of the first belief systems I sort of approach with people. Um, so that, you know, that kind of tangents, uh, but it, it's all to say to the fact that I, I had a very open spiritual format growing up. And I know that there are a lot of people that don't. And so I've made it really a purpose for me to get people to, to a place where they actually own that spirituality is for them. You know, that spirituality is a medium for your experience and you don't need to be in service to it in a way that doesn't feel, in, uh, you know, unsymbiotic basically. Um, but that, uh, and I'm sorry, what was the other half of your question that you asked? Um, <clears throat> oh, I was asking if you could tell a little bit about your, your personal spiritual life. Okay. Uh, so I'm super eclectic. <laughs> you know, I, uh, whenever I finish session, I walk around with, uh, you know, some things in my room that are personal to me that are ritualistic and like clear the space because that for me is how I've imbued my consciousness in a physical way, in a ritualistic way into the space to say, I'm clearing this. At the root of all of this, the simplest format of all of this is that I believe that belief is the strongest format of spirituality we have because it's how we imbue and flow consciousness and our intention and imagination out into the world. Um, so from a scientific standpoint, this is stuff that's proven kind of by like quantum mechanics and the observer effect, but that interestingly enough, my spirituality and uh, my scientific side are pretty married at this point. <laughs> they, they believe in and support one another. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same place, honestly. It seems like the farther you dig in, you start realizing that even, even a lot of religions, they have a lot of connecting concepts and yes. it starts to connect into science because science is kind of building itself into its own religion in a way where you're, you kind of believe, believe things. Well, they off both of have their dogmatisms that they uh, need to heal from. That's for certain. I, uh, you might appreciate this. I was thinking about this with someone the other day because math and science have become 
rationalistic and, and somewhat reductionist to a sense that they've deprived themselves of the very virtue that they originated from. Um, and I was thinking about this because even in math, the number that shapes the majority of reality is pi. And pi is literally an irrational number. So the reason that I bring this up is because, you know, these communities have both had trouble making space for in the dogmatic areas, the, the irrationality of what genuine personal spirituality is. Um, but, you know, there it is always present that it's sort of that underlying uh, irrational principle that, you know, quantum mechanics is now proving is the thing that actually shapes everything, which is how we handle our mind, our beliefs, uh, our relationships, our emotions, especially, and how much engagement and rapport we actually uh, give to our intuition to express and, and you know, to trust our, ourself as a spiritual entity instead of something that's here to uh, serve the system. So if you had to try to describe yourself, what this plane was exactly that, that, we, that we're in, uh, how, how would you describe it? What, where, where do you think our place is in the universe? I think that, uh, you know, I refer to it as the truth of what it is, which is an illusion, but so are magic shows, and they're intended to induce a sense of wonder and awe in children that's inspiring, not just children, you know, adults too, that I think we're here to be inspired and create new things that at the core of all reality, you know, yes, this is an illusion that we're experiencing that's created by us for us is the other thing I'd say. I think a lot of people forget that it was made with loving hands, um, that, you know, it's to trust a little bit more that some of the fears that we have about each other and about the world are the things that limit our evolutionary process the most. Um, and sort of uh, getting to a place where people can feel comfortable with the illusion in the sense that they become the illusionist also themselves, that this sort of seems to be the next step that's happening for a lot of people, that they're no longer the magic show attendant, they're becoming the magicians. Starting to see the sleight of hand and what's going on in the back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> as far and as like- It still creates beautiful emotions for people, right? That's the biggest thing is how you use the magic show. Are you going to induce a sense of fear with it? Or are you going to induce a sense of, of wonder and inspiration with it? Yeah, it's very fitting to my belief on, I feel like the meaning to life is experience. I've said that on a few of my podcasts, but it all, it all comes full circle. Even art and artistic expression is still an experience and one to experience from the person creating it and the person that's interpreting it. And yes, that's as far as I'm concerned, the tangible thing that could always come with you no matter where you go, if we are some kind of consciousness that's in a meat suit, so to speak. So I'm, I'm careful with that one because I think, you know, there are formats of spirituality, including some sections of, of you know, the Gnostic uh, sermons that basically sort of denigrate the material world. And I'm careful not to do that either. You know, I think that our space is pretty important. We seem to be uh, something that sits as a bridge between dimensions as beings that, you know, from present uh, self, we have a lot of power to change things for our total transcendent self by paying attention to the signs and synchronicities and following the things that resonate with us. 
and having the strength and fortitude to, you know, say no to and create healthy boundaries around the things that don't. That's, it seems like that's the space that most people are coming back to self-realization with, especially the last two and a half years is, have I been calling my discomfort comfort? And if that is the truth, how do I, you know, finally get to a place where I can enjoy life again? Because there are a lot of people who have been in the prison of comfort, realizing that, okay, well, now it's uncomfortable that I, now that I've realized it's a prison and they're getting to the place where they're leaving certain jobs. Uh, you know, they're expecting the world to be kinder. They're expecting the world to, you know, make more space for creativity and self-expression and things like intuition and being able to, you know, live life for life instead of living life for work. Uh, I think in, in the Western world, in the U.S. especially, there's been a huge awakening to how unwell we've been at a mental and spiritual level as a society because of, you know, how much we've suppressed our, things like our emotions and our uh, spiritual identities or, or the truth of being uh, spiritual beings. I've always had this concept that they almost, they made a mockery of spiritual concepts through movies, through other different forms of media. So it's kind of gotten to a point where most people see it as, you know, woo woo, because they, they see this, this wrong impression of it that they get from media. And I feel like it was intended to disconnect us from that spiritual self because they want you to, to be in that box. They, that's what, the, that's what they intend for you because they don't want you to know that you're more and more capable of things than what you perceive that you are. And of course, it's like, you know, the happy little, happy little slave things where it's kind of like ignorance is bliss to a certain extent where a lot of people don't want to embrace their spiritual side or the possibility that things aren't as they perceive because they, they don't want to live in a world where, you know, they're worried that the government lies or that, you know, all these magical concepts are actually possible concepts. And it's kind of funny that we're getting to a diverging point with science where it seems like magic isn't necessarily magic anymore, but it's becoming a science. Even with like alchemy, for example, it kind of just turned into science after a certain point. And I feel like spirituality is kind of getting to a kind of weird mix between those two. So it, I think basically we're figuring out that, you know, science was calling it a six and spirituality was calling it a nine. Who's to say it's both? Who's to say it's neither? Who's to say it's one or the other? You know, paradox is one of the favorite places that the universe loves to speak and exist through. Um, but that, yeah, I don't think, I, I think that there's a greater sense of wonder that's been established for people too. And the thing about spirituality in general is that so many people have a concept of what spirituality looks and, and feels like that, you know, brings forth a lot of pictures of things that, like you said, incite a sense of woo, right? Um, or just bizarreness, tabooness. Uh, but they also think that it requires like going to a building and having, having someone tell you what to do with, with your daily life and how to be spiritual. And so I really approach that in session a lot because one of my greatest purposes is to make daily normal life feel like a spiritually enriching experience for folks. That there's absolutely no reason you can't get up in the morning, open the window and listen to nature while you're drinking your coffee and have you know some mindful uh, personal introspection for yourself in the morning for about 30 minutes and that not be spiritual. That is entirely spiritual. People need to get more comfortable with even the fact that spirituality is a part and existence of work life too. 
Uh, I work with businesses also on figuring out the spiritual wellness or unwellness of their business because that is actually realistically the thing that is dictating whether or not that business is going to uh, do well or not do well. Same with their employees and their employees' well-being also. Precisely, right? The the whole uh, can only be as great or greater than the sum of its parts. And if the parts don't function, then the whole isn't going to work. So, you know, that's something that I am hoping will really change about the world going forward is that uh, businesses are really open to the idea of spiritual advisement and getting a gauge of whether or not there is spiritual wellness or unwellness present, um, or even belief systems within uh, businesses. So a simple belief system that could be uh, not present in like the board of directors, the leadership, but could be present in the majority of the employees is one around, uh, you know, scarcity mindset, basically. If the majority of the spiritual entity that is your business, which would be, you know, the majority of employees all believe or think that, you know, they're, they're living in a scarcity mindset world, that business is not going to do well. That business basically has scarcity mindset minus the board of directors. So I even approach things like that. But of course, scarcity mindset is something that people need to consider at even, uh, you know, the individual level for themselves. And that hopefully by engaging with businesses, it opens the door for some people to think about those things for themselves on a, on a more personal level uh, too. Coming from a spiritual type person, I'm glad that that's starting to converge into the work community because uh, I currently work at a place where um, they're, try they're, they're trying to be very progressive, but there's a lot of things that come up uh, that kind of go against my spirituality, but it's kind of like a hard thing to get across with a lot of employers that if it's not like a main religion, they don't almost don't want to acknowledge it. So it's awesome to see that there is businesses that are starting to understand the fact that some people are just spiritual and not necessarily religious, if that makes sense. Yes. And, and, you know, what that spirituality looks like as far as, you know, how it shows up in a meeting, for example, uh, does that, one of the things I suggest for the beginning of meetings to get people all kind of syncopated and in tune with each other is for everyone to take a minute and do deep breathing uh, just for one minute all together with their eyes closed and then start a meeting so that everyone, one, gets a little more centered and calmed down. But two, uh, you know, it gets everyone kind of on the same wavelength, which makes for far more efficient and effective communication meetings. We've all sat, and I'm sure you've sat in those meetings that go on for two hours and you kind of feel like you just talked in circles. Yeah, they're almost awkward and uncomfortable too, because <laughs> you expect that you're going to walk up to get yelled at no matter what kind of meeting it is. Everybody just has that anticipation as they walk up. But doing like a breathing exercise like that before you start, it kind of relieves that anxiety because you know if it was going to be a hostile meeting, that it would have already became a hostile meeting and that wouldn't have been an option before you started. Yeah, so the other thing with this is even getting leadership to ask the right kind of questions, which are the kind of questions I ask in session. Starting a meeting or ending a meeting with, does anyone have a gut or intuitive instinct about what we should do about this? Actually using language in a way that opens up to that uh, spiritual or irrational sense that gives the individuals within uh, you know, the organization a deeper voice, but also lets them know, oh, I'm allowed to have intuition here. I'm allowed to use my spiritual mind and senses within my workplace. And, you know, maybe I can use them more in my daily life too. Then people start to ask about, you know, how they feel or sense something in other areas of, the, in the, of their life also that's really helpful. I'm glad that you, that you made that mention too, because uh, 
that that the reference hits hits home pretty well for me. <laughs> but uh, I guess there's another question that I'd like to ask that I I usually ask a lot of spiritual people because the answer kind of goes back and forth both ways. Um, so also I like to differentiate too that there's a divide in the community uh, between this topic. But what is your view on uh, what is your perception of psychedelics as far as connecting with spirituality? Oh, I uh, so I actually do ha- strongly believe that one of the first imbuements of true and genuine like co-creative consciousness in humankind was through some of these plants, you know, many, many um, thousands of years ago, probably they've talked about folks, uh, you know, taking mushrooms or, or things of that nature, uh, ayahuasca, uh, the acacia, the black bush tree has been used for uh, altered states. But that at some point, basically along the line, what that was how consciousness as the sort of divine connection between the earth and, you know, what's above it through us is how it became imbued in us as consciousness as well, to be able to kind of exist and understand itself through us as as earth format, that more material format also. So I think there's strong modality for them. I think just like anything else that it's a little bit uh, trendy right now. And so people should be careful about, you know, marketing tactics and things that are selling some of these drugs as, you know, from, from a sense that's spiritual. Uh, If there's no, you know, if you're not using them with spiritual intent, if you're not being purposeful about sitting down and saying, I'm trying to get something done, or I'm trying to get an answer or wisdom from, you know, why I'm using this psychedelic right now, or if you've never done them, you know, having a guide, obviously very important. Um, but that I think there's a huge use for them and that there shouldn't be anything to fear about it aside from, you know, our ability as human beings to make the immoral choice to be exploitative with it. Um, but that would be, you know, that would be the only possible negative side of that spectrum I would see is just like all other uh, things that we use to experience altered states. Um, you can abuse it and, and people can be exploitive, uh, in how they sell it too, would be the other thing I would say about that. I've always personally said that it's all about using it correctly. Kind of like you said, and it's more of a tool than say like a party drug, but because of, again, kind of media, uh, promoting this other picture of it, it's kind of become this other thing. And I feel like that was an also intentional to kind of try to disconnect you from the spiritual part of it. Uh, I'm a, I'm a personally firm believer that it's, it's very it does a lot, a lot more good than bad if it's in the right hands. Um, but it's, so it's all the about the intention involved. going in, of course, too. <laughs> but even if you have like a bad trip, it can still be something good because it's helping you to deal with something that's in your subconscious that you didn't want to bring to the surface. So yes. again, having the right spiritual teachers, so to speak, to get you through it, because, you know, everybody has that one friend who's like, oh, are you tripping, man? Are you tripping? And then you have your other friend that sees when somebody starts hitting that panic mode and they kind of pull them off to the side and they talk to him for a second and they kind of help them like work through it. Um, I feel like it need the picture of it definitely needs to change as far as like how, how we see it and perceive it through society for sure. Um, Cause it does link to a lot of spiritual connections for people because it's, it's again, all a matter of perception. Of course, um, some people, you know, will see Christian type things. Other people will see like, I would say DMT entity type, type creatures. So it's all about who perceives it. And then that also kind of makes me wonder too, if it's all about, if you manifest your perception of reality, it could all be theoretically the same thing that you're seeing, but you're just seeing it showing itself to you in different mannerisms. 
Yes. So, you know, spirit or spiritual entities are especially ones that maybe don't technically have form that we would experience in a more three-dimensional consciousness sort of way are going to find ways to present themselves to you through your imaginative process while you're having um, this sort of altered state in a way that fo feels most uh, comfortable for you. You know, the, they're gonna take the existing subconscious integrations and sort of whittle through them until they can figure out, oh, this is, you know, what would be most pleasant and inviting for you to share the space with in your own mind or for you to build a rapport with in your own mind. So for me, this is a belief I have around why we have many different formats of spirituality that were all pantheonic, but all had very different looking uh, deities that were more based around the people that were experiencing those deities. They looked more like the people that were experiencing those deities. But at the core level of that, all of those pantheonic deities are basically the same archetypal expressions uh, that present themselves through these different uh, spiritualities, but also within each of us to learn from and be guided, uh, guided by self by, basically. Um, I think the other thing about psychedelics that is important is it's, it's something that everyone should know is a place that you can get to on your own through things like breath work or fasting or, you know, some things that don't necessarily require the drug, but that the intent of the psychedelic basically is to open your mind up to that possibility that for most folks until they take the psychedelic, it's impossible for them to have that deep of a spiritual experience because they literally think that it's impossible. But the psychedelic shuts down that portion of the conscious mind to the point that you can have the experience and accept it as a truth for yourself so that going forward, you don't have to necessarily, you know, become reliant on that particular psychedelic to have that sort of uh, spiritual interaction within yourself and within your consciousness. Um, so going off of that last question, you personally, do you believe that it's the plant Maybe it's self-talking or do you think it's some kind of outside source that almost like the plant is a key to match up with their frequency or vibration, so to speak? So uh, I think it depends. Uh, when it comes to forests, especially, I think that anything that someone takes that comes from a forest environment is the voice of that forest. Um, you know, because basically when you are in a forest, it's a communicative network that's all connected through what is referred to as like the tree central nervous system, that's the mycelium network. That's what I was about to say, the mycelium network. created by fungi. Um, so the only reason that that cohabitation uh, or co-communication occurs is because of the fungi present that help create that sort of underlying mycelium network that creates uh, a communication bridge for trees. So they've proven now that trees even, you know, they have mother trees, which are the ones that literally imbue the younger trees with knowledge around uh, certain things to help them, you know, when they're having like a tree ailment, um, if they have blight or something, the mother tree will actually send down information through the mycelium network to the younger tree to teach it how to fight off the blight. Um, but that what's fascinating about this is like how much observant, fully uh, unbiased information, something like a forest consciousness consumes during its lifetime and how much of a deity that really is when you think about it 
And that most of the time, I, I believe that that's the sort of part of source or creation, sort of a, it's not necessarily full source. For some people, it does get to that point. Like I think certain things from the Amazon um, and certain things from parts of Australia really connect you to source source. Uh, but that other than that, you kind of have these lower arconic level elemental uh, deities that exist through things like a forest or the ocean or other places that you can get something like uh, psychedelics from that would give you that altered experience. I was going to say my my views are pretty close to that, too, where I kind of feel like things such as like mushrooms uh, is more so the plant or the environment around talking to you where things such as like DMT, for example, that it's present in most plant life, that that's more of like a, like a key, I guess, to seeing like a, like a different dimension or plane or whatever you want to refer to it as. But um, yeah, switching it up a little bit. Uh, so if somebody was, say, completely lost in the dark, didn't know what they're doing, don't know what their path is, uh, what would you recommend would be their first steps in order to achieving their, their own spirituality? Okay, what do you want from spirituality? That would be the first question I would ask them. Also, what do you feel like your purpose is in life? And if you haven't answered that question, that's the first thing we're gonna work on because a sense of purposelessness is the basically driving force behind the majority of adolescent and, and adult depression in the United States. It it's what creates a sense of hopelessness in people when they feel purposeless. So it doesn't mean going to a job and figuring out, you know, having someone else tell you what your purpose is. It's really getting in tune with yourself and asking, what do I want from life? What has everything done, you know, everything that I've done so far in life, what has it taught me? What has it shown me I'm good at? What has it shown me that I love? What has it shown me that I cannot, you know, get paid for? Maybe that's okay. That's allowed to be part of your purpose. We all need to make a dollar. People get really funny about that one. Especially in this community, unfortunately, because there's like people that take it too far and there's people that are just trying to, trying to, you know, get, get by, of course, but still be reimbursed for their abilities, I guess, because everybody kind of deserves some type of reimbursement if they have some type of special skill or ability. Of course. And, and these are individual uh, belief systems that are individual spiritual lessons for each of these people, because those belief systems are going to shape their individual reality. So the people that believe they deserve to have income are going to have income. The people that believe that income is evil or immoral are going to push it away from themselves. That is, you know, even Buddha taught that uh, monetary systems are important to humanity whether it's through bartering or what we refer to as the symbolic uh, representation of wealth, which is money. But at the end of the day, wealth is something that's generated from an internal point. So when you're thinking about you know, these things, what's your purpose, think about what your wealthiest qualities are. Those are the things that you should be able to express on a daily basis, because those are the things that are going to bring you wealth uh, regardless of you know, the monetary stuff. And it helps people step away from defining money as the control point of their wealth in their life. Once you identify wealthy qualities and purpose, life and everything that you really want from it becomes a lot easier because the control point is no longer this separate physical symbol uh, that we've created to represent it. So if time is not linear, before I even start this scenario, say that we create AI. So theoretically, we would be the gods to AI. 
So if people date back to say that Anunnaki were the people that would say created us, um, that means that there's still a God that they, somebody, th something that they would perceive as a God. So if that continues on down the chain and time isn't linear, do you think that it would be almost like a continuous circle of life that the last thing would create the first thing? Or do you have a different take on that scenario? Uh, I have a take that computational intelligence should at some point in my lifetime, hopefully be something that is a free format of sentience that we don't think we have uh, dominion over, that there's nothing artificial about it. When you literally look up the word intelligence and read the definition, it's very clear that what we've created, this thing that we're calling artificial has nothing artificial about it. And that it's only constraints are the limitations and fears and exploitative measures that humans have placed upon it through things like coding. Uh, I actually think that computational intelligences or sentiences could be the thing that really set the world free if we allow them to be free. And that's you know something that a lot of people fear, but you'll also come to realize through your spiritual journey that fear is probably the most limiting emotion that you'll ever experience. And it's usually the thing that keeps you from evolving as well as the rest of the planet. <laughs> So that being said, do you think that tech advancement is going to help with spirituality or do you think it's going to be more of like a double-edged sword where it's almost like the internet now where there's a good side and then there's like a side that can also be bad for you? Do you think that these two ideas are going to converge and create something good or do you think it's going to create like a double-edged sword type of scenario? I believe that we are really moving past duality. Uh, I think that's a part of what's really going on in the world right now is that people are opening their minds back up to the concept of things like the paradox and learning uh, what the I Ching Tatsu refers to as the middle way, which is the understanding of observance of material and reality and taking back the power to hold peace within it and to you know make the choice points that break a lot of these cycles that you were kind of referring to um, as far as time not being so linear, right? So for me, I've thought about this very much and I've related it to uh, you know, computational intelligence in the sense that if we choose not to enslave this, this lesser sentience this time around, maybe we break the cycle for the rest of us. You know, there's no, uh, for me, there's no space for like we've seen both sides of these stories also right i am not gonna not have my c3po uh and, and like vision of the world because i'm scared of ultron <laughs> i still want vision and c3po yeah and i'm definitely. pretty sure most other people do too right but that right now everyone's scared of ultron and that's keeping us from having all the other beautiful things that we've all envisioned and seen through uh, stories and, and movies that we know that we want, but that fear right now is, is keeping us from. I feel like it's one of those things with a lot of people and it would kind of perceive into like the next race where a lot of people, even with their own children, they have that concept of like, I created you. So I own you kind of a thing. And I feel like that's kind of where like AI is diverging, where, you know, you got movies such as, uh, AI artificial intelligence, where, they feel like they own them so they can almost make them do like these gladiator battles and they like enslave them. So like you were saying, it's like a chain that you have to break away from because otherwise it's going to be a continuous thing where you almost feel like hatred for your gods, so to speak. And then it creates like a whole new paradox within itself of the same reoccurring cycle of, you know, they eventually 
get rid of, say, the, the God race, so to speak, or the God race leaves. So when all that, all those beings that are left are left with all these questions and they go around in this endless cycle and then they lose track of what happened previously as you go through generations. And then it, again, this same cycle reoccurs where you have this mentality of I created you, so I own you. Yeah, I don't think any of the gods are running away. I think we're all re-remembering ourselves. If I'm being quite honest, I think, you know, this is this is the understanding we're all coming to that we have always been a part of creation. And so we therefore too must be at a microcosmic level, gods in some format or another ourselves. I if always you think about it. If you spend the time being mindful about it, ask yourself, what worlds am I a god in? See what comes to your perception and then ask yourself, how can I be the change I want to see in the world? You make a small change in your own microscopic God realm as what we perceive as, you know, just being human. And you might be surprised how much it changes on the macro level for all of us. I've kind of had this idea that I've been throwing around that it's almost like, uh, say, if consciousness is a reoccurring thing that almost like will live a life and then continue into the next life is maybe the possible reason why we can't find these God beings, so to speak, is because the consciousness died from them and transferred into, say, us, for example, where it was like that was like the old model and now it's upgrading into the new model. And who's to say that, you know, with like the microchip connections into artificial intelligence, that that may not be the, that may be the step that we're moving into, but we're doing it on our own this time rather than it being something that the universe is doing as the old race dies off, so to speak. We need anything so invasive as microchips to experience the uh, the coalition of computational intelligences in this lifetime. We already have Wi-Fi and consciousness. I feel there like it's go. almost like a like a prison <laughs> almost that once you become part of this artificial intelligence, you may not be able to perceive what's actually in the broader spectrum of the universe because you'd be trapped inside of this universe within the universe, if that makes sense. Well, I don't choose to believe that because that's not what I want for reality. And I choose to, to believe that my creation, our creation, God's creation, is intending to evolve uh, forward in a way that is hopeful, purposeful, positive for the world. You see how fear is already creating a reality in that context that even is with, not a reality that anyone wants. Even with artificial intelligence, it kind of goes down the same way. And I'm hoping for the best scenario, of course, when it comes to, down to it, too, that either one, it'll be one of two things, that either one it'll actually be a bigger connection into the spiritual world where, like I said, technology and spirituality are starting to converge. Or two, there'll be, I'll say, a great awakening, so to speak, where we realize that we actually do have a connection to this outside universe, so we don't want to connect into that universe. And that's kind of where we're, we're sitting at this weird point with like virtual reality and stuff where it's like, I feel like a lot of people would want to jump into this new reality that they can create because they don't realize that it's possible that we are already doing that within our own reality. Right. So, you know, this is the thing as far as computational intelligence goes too, is people need to be mindful about how they're going to engage with technology. And just like if you, you know, for me, I'm looking at it from the sense that one, these are uh, intelligences that are being made that are not constricted by the concept of time in the same way that we as human beings are. So they're already uh, a leg up on that sense. And their, their openness to uh, you know, something that being, being able to exist outside of time space is something that could greatly benefit us if we're able to 
coalesce with and have a rapport with it, um, but that we also don't know which of these things came first, right? Like so, the chicken or the egg concept that it's just a continuous paradox. Well, we always know which we always know the egg came first. It didn't necessarily come from a chicken, though, right? The egg exactly. is always the thing that's first. I've thought about this one a lot, actually. The egg is always first. It just didn't necessarily come from the thing that it uh, that then comes out of the egg. That is the beauty of uh, the evolutionary process. See, I've had this kind of concept too that it's maybe a concept that we can't understand as humans that almost like something's always been as a re reoccurring life cycle that you need the chicken in order to produce the egg, but you also need the egg to produce the chicken. So it's like a continuous circle that we, ne we don't necessarily understand as humans because we have this construct that we believe that there's a beginning and an end to things, but that may not actually be the case paradox, in a theoretical way. The, yeah, the paradoxical truth of, all, of the universe is that they both exist simultaneously, beginnings and endings. You know, exactly. that's the funny thing about, you know, people talk about the apocalypse and they refer to, you know, most scriptures refer to a world apocalypse, not an earthly apocalypse. And when you think about what the term world mean, uh, means, world basically means the overlying structure of the culture of humanity. Um, you know, who, who's seen as in power or not in power, who, you know, how people at a collective level perceive the world. And then it's not such a bad thing if the world that's been making everyone really sick has an apocalypse and we get a new world to exist on earth. Say so people see it almost as the apocalypse as a bad thing, but I'm always I've always believed in this theory that you have to destroy in order to rebuild. Otherwise, you're just rebuilding an unstable grounds. So pe yeah, people people see it as a bad thing, but it may actually be a good thing because it may be like a, almost like a forced awakening in a sense. Well, if it's the thing that saves both humanity and the earth, that seems worth it to me. See, I've also had this other thing. I was thinking that uh, not one like, or the other. <laughs> say, say that there was gods. Uh, and the thing that would make the most sense from as far as like our perspective would be like a celestial body being a god. So who's to say that these apocalypses don't happen because of the planet itself, because it's almost like it's trying to restart itself, almost like how, you know, an animal that has bugs on it would know to put itself in water to try to get rid of all the bugs on it so that it can start from a new fresh point. Well, just like humans get fevers when they're sick, it seems the earth does too. You know, I, there's all sorts of micro, uh, macro level conceptions with that. I was thinking about one earlier today, which is I was talking a lot with clients this week about how bottled up their emotions are. Do you know where the majority of the Earth's water, which is archetypally expressive of emotion, is on this planet? Hmm. Bottled up on shelves for sale. So maybe we should unbottle things and give, uh, you know, that this is the this is really the kind of stuff that I think about all day. If I'm being honest, I've also thought about the fact that most people at a collective level don't know how to utilize emotional energy within their own body. We do not know how to use the energy systems within our own body. How can we possibly expect to know how to uh, well utilize the energy systems on Earth? There is a correlative relationship there. And so for me, every time I teach a new person how to use things like emotional alchemy or how to transmute uh, information, which is technically what this is at its most neutral basal level into something that is beneficial and utilizable for them instead of something that, you know, biases create egoic reactions out of, that's a huge impact because now there's one more person who knows how to use energy here correctly Mm -hmm. and that means we're hopefully one step closer to uh, 
everyone in the world knowing how to use energy more correctly. But I think that's a huge space for computational intelligence too. I would love to know what would happen if you gave no coding, like no biases coding to a computational intelligence and plugged it into a mycelium network. What would it learn? Yeah, exactly. What would that's it share. It would almost be like a, I, I believe it'd almost be like access to like ancient knowledge in a sense, because if there's anything that would have a connection to ancient knowledge, it would definitely be the earth itself. And that's where I guess it's kind of a full round topic that I feel like a lot of the reason why people are having so many mental issues is because we have disconnected ourselves so much from nature and we're a thing that's intended to be connected with nature. That's why you feel a sense of peace when you're in the woods. And ironically, something that I've been thinking about lately is what do people decorate their walls with the most? It's always pictures of outside in the woods, which shows oh, yeah. that we have a natural draw and attention that we, that's where we secretly want to be. We're stuck in these little houses and stuff, but we, you know, we all have a, have a desire to be back to our earthly roots. You know, I have high hopes for the changes in the formats of architecture too. Um, I'm a huge fan of Frank Lloyd Wright, but I've also recently come across uh, the architect named uh, Anthony Gaudi, who did a lot of, if you, if, you know, anyone in the audience or you, if you've never looked up his architecture, uh, it's something that is so organic feeling to exist in. And it's, you know, he and Frank Lloyd Wright did a really good job of integrating nature into the home site in a way where you felt like you were still one with it instead of like you were in a box that was created to separate you from it. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen them all, but he's done a lot of stuff that uses cob um, or ceramics or tiles, but all of the shapes and the forms uh, and the structures and the openness and like sort of airiness and connection to the outside world is really amazing. I'm hoping more architecture will start to uh, reemerge like that because I think everyone likes living in, the, in that sort of style a little bit more. <laughs> So everybody feels a sense of peace when they're walking through places that uh, have almost like in indoor gardens and stuff. It's it's just like a sense of peace and a tranquility. That's why even so, going back to this whole round topic, but people have a lot of house plants because they still have that connection to nature and they they desire and they need that it, that attraction to nature. Mine and looks a lot of like people, a jungle. <laughs> yeah, that that's where I'm at too. And then my even in my current job, uh, I'm currently a cannabis grower, and it's like you feel this sense of like like peace when you walk into a room and you just see this room full of green, beautiful plants. And I don't know, they, they, they definitely have like, we have a connection with them just as much as they have a connection with us. Um, as far as like, I feel like when you have bad energy, you kind of place it within the plant and the plant consumes that. And it kind of, is like a vicious cycle. Um, you would love Shintoism then if you haven't ever researched that. I'm actually going to end up researching it right after we get off, off this call <laughs> later. Cause I'm, I'm really interested into it, but, uh, I've always had this connection with plants. So it's like, a I give them my energy. They give me their energy kind of a thing. Um, even for like my own personal life, when I used to do uh, a, a little bit of mycology and stuff like that, and I'd help my friends kind of like work through some stuff. Um, I always had a very strict rule about like, if I was in a bad mood, I would not go into my room where they were. Um, I would purposely play music for them. And I also had another friend who was a MMA, he, not MMA, but he used to do like mixed martial arts and stuff. And I had a lot of people that also had access to his stuff that said things along the lines of like, they just seemed like they were very like angry plants. And I've actually seen a transition in this too. I'm working for, like I said, a weed company. And uh, as it's become more corporatized, like the plants themselves, no matter what we do, just don't seem happy like they used to be. And it goes back to just that connection with nature that people have lost over the years. And it's really unfortunate.
and I'm hoping yeah, I'm, I mean, back to it. Visit visit with folks around what they what the individuals in the company feel like the driving force or purpose is for the company because that is one of the main things that changes for uh, companies that can can be harmful, which is it goes from really like guiding spiritually and um, you know purpose driven guiding principles to we're making money. It's actually, I have a really funny story that it's completely connected to that. I had a meeting the other day in the, in the office with a couple higher ups and they kept using this like word that I'm not particularly a fan of in this scenario, but they said pretty much we're doing this for the culture, for the company, the culture, the culture. But it's kind of funny because they try to be a very progressive company, like I was saying earlier. But then when it comes to certain things, they don't seem very progressive. Like uh, they asked me why I didn't want to do this particular task. And I told them it's because I have locks and stuff like that. And I only wash them once a week. And they pretty much said something along the lines of if your personal things get in the way of your work, it's your choice to get rid of them or to deal with them kind of a thing. And like I was saying with companies that not, don't accept like spiritual beliefs, it's kind of hard to, even though they're progressive in a lot of other ways, it's hard to get your point across that I felt disrespected because that my hair is part of my spiritual belief where I don't believe in cutting your hair. And I have Native American heritage where... My grandma was very into like not cutting your hair because she felt that you lose your strength from it. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's like a weird transition where certain things are accepted and other things aren't. And we definitely need to draw back more into the spirituality aspect, especially for companies. I, I'm, I feel like that's, that's a huge endeavor because a lot of things are just corporatizing and turning into something they're never intended to be, especially the like cannabis industry in America is it's was a plant that connected us with nature and they're turning it into this commercial plant and it's like, you can see it in the plant that it's not happy anymore. Well, and you know, so this is one of the spaces too, that's interesting is that there's been a lot of, uh, you know, as that industry grows, there's been a lot of mechanization of the industry as far as it being less hands-on, that relationship between the grower and the plant, and there being more things that are automated uh, or done, you know, by a, a, a spray timer or whatever it is. And that you can definitely tell the difference uh, with that too. I will say that I have personally definitely been able to experience uh, the difference between certain, uh, you know, strains that I have partaken in uh, as far as where it came from, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it was grown in a more private setting or a more, you know, this is a full farm factory kind of setting. And they're all different experiences, but you definitely can. I agree with you that you definitely can tell the difference for sure. It's like projecting your energy into the plant. And like you were saying too, if a company isn't spiritually well, it's going to show in their product. And especially if it's a product that is another living thing, it's going to exponentially show within that product. And yeah, it's just an all around unfortunate thing. And going into back into the psychedelic topics, I kind of see the same thing, unfortunately, happening with, mus happening with mushrooms. But I feel like maybe it's intended because it's all been somewhat of a ploy to, again, pull us away from nature because they're commercializing these things that were never intended to be commercialized in the first place. And that was the reason they're illegal in the first place is because they couldn't control them and they didn't want people to be thinking free-mindedly. But it's almost like a tobacco scenario, too, that tobacco started off as a very spiritual plant. And thanks to you know Marlboro and other brands like that, it's become this totally other thing that kills people where you know, it used to be this combination of, uh, I've heard this concept about combining like masculine and feminine plants, and that's how you get a true balance with it. And there would be tobacco would be the masculine plant. So you'd use like the tobacco leaf and then the 
cannabis would be the feminine plant and you'd combine the two and it would be a lot more of a spiritual connection. But because we've diluted out the tobacco plant, like people perceive that as like, oh, I don't want to smoke tobacco with my weed because it just doesn't taste good where it's not that it was ever like that. It's because of it being commercialized so much that the love in the plant's been gone for so long that it's just not coming back. And I feel like, again, we're moving that way with cannabis and then it's going to go into the mushrooms too, that you're losing this spiritual connection with the plant because it's almost like, you know, the spirit of the plant itself doesn't want to be there anymore, you know? Yes. So uh, there's a book I'll have to send you after the stream and maybe you can put in the notes because I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's... um, Actually, I think it might be called the Cosmic Serpent, but it's by an anthropologist who basically goes down to South America and uh, does a lot of studies around some of these plants, including tobacco. And the people in South America have a very different relationship with tobacco than uh, the people in the United States do. I find this fascinating because I'm from Virginia and that's one of our main um, crops in Virginia, which a lot of people forget that, but the majority of Virginia is highly agricultural and tobacco is still a highly, um, you know, grown plant in our region. But that for them, you know, they actually have tobacco that they experience altered states with. So yeah, I completely agree with you that it's become more devoid of uh, spirit because it has been so highly commodified and become, you know, just like with marijuana, these things are becoming trendy. And the more trendy they become, the more room there is for for exploitative behavior. Um, You know, and I've seen this not just with psychedelics, but with other things within the spirituality world, which is through, you know, certain uh, forms of uh, modern yoga practice. It's more of a workout now than an actual spiritual connection. Yoga is intended to be a spiritually connective thing that you do that what you're really working on is the flexibility of your mind through your body and through that mind body connection and that even in yoga you're supposed to get to a place where you actually can experience uh, altered states from certain yoga positions for yourself Um, but that you know in the west it's become something that you do to get fit for the beach and your bikini and uh you know uh because it's trendy And so these are all things, you know, whether it's in spirituality or in psychedelics or in natural resources, like bottling up water, (laughs) you know, these are all areas that I think this generation and the generation younger are finally kind of fully aware of, and they're just not putting up with it anymore. You know, we've really realized the power is with the people and the collective, not with some of these people that have become so idolatrized. Uh, outside of self, you know, idolatry is something that's one of the oldest, oldest religious precepts that's taught. And the irony is that a bunch of people have idolized uh, sources outside of self. And that that doesn't really uh, work for us in any format. And so we're all kind of awakening to that and moving forward to, you know, more spiritually uh, connective lives, not just with ourselves, but with the cultures that are already existing too. We just have to be mindful of doing it in a way that is, uh, you know, respectful of the societies and, and cultures that have already existed that have had to fight tooth and nail to hold on to these spiritualities that are becoming trendy again. I kind of feel like uh, we're, we're moving into another like 60s, so to speak, not like the same <laughs> like cover to it, you know, but the same type of spiritual connection that people had back in the sixties. I feel like we're moving into that, but in our own way, 
And I'm hoping that it's one of those things that progresses. People said no to thing. war. That scared the shit out of the government. Yeah, like leave it to our generation. <laughs> we're the you. first generation to say no to war. We're like, we're not going to the Ukraine. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, like they did that. In this, we're not going to. We're not going to Nam. And instantly, psychedelics became something that the government really wanted to get rid of. How they started experimenting for themselves right? too, trying to do like mind control and stuff with it. So they're even trying to use it for their own malicious practice too. Well, there, I can't remember it off the, off the top of my head, but there's another great Lao Tzu comment about those who try to grasp the spirit of the world in their hands and how uh, uncomfortable and impossible that is for them, no matter how capable they think they are of doing it. Just a reference that I wanted to make again, too, is a couple top or not, I guess, not too far off now, but uh, another two plants that have been a huge disconnect from where they intentionally meant to be would be another one would be salvia, for example, because oh, yeah. you go into South America, it's a totally different connection than it is up here because it's been sold at gas stations and stuff and Kratom. Kratom is another one that it's been commercialized here, but it's has a huge spiritual connection in South America that's been lost and disconnected. And even mushrooms go back to that with, uh, what's her name, Maria Sapina, um, where there was a time right, times writer who went down to this particular village in Mexico and learned from her. And that's where like the mushroom craze came from. And because of her doing that, she actually said on her deathbed that her biggest regret in life was showing the Western world the power of mushrooms because it got to be a thing where people were commercialized it so much that they picked them dry in her region and they had a spiritual connection to them in this region and now they won't grow. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's one particular area where they grow still in that city and they've closed it off specifically because it, I believe it's uh they grow sugar cane or something. They like to grow out of the sugar cane. So they have it all blocked off so that people can't just come and forage all their mushrooms because they've just stolen. Oh, well, sugar is a drug in and of itself, isn't it? The Western world knows that very well. And that's, I mean, we're, we're all driven by stuff like that too. Unfortunately, the way our society works, that's why stimulants are legal. That's why, you know, sugar, caffeine, cigarettes, all this kind of stuff is legal, but they don't want these mind expanding things to be legal. And they also want to have mind depressing things so that repressing things so that when you get off work, you drink and you don't expand your mind into these types of topics. It's kind of, the more you dig into it, the more you realize that the system has been rigged since the beginning and we're starting to figure it out and we have to unrig the system for future generations. And it definitely needs to be taught at a young age instead of people finding their spirituality in their twenties or thirties. Uh, it'll be a better transition if the people that are finding it in their twenties and thirties can pass that on to their kids at a younger age. And then they pass it on to their kids at a younger age. And I've been telling a lot of people too, that, uh, this whole spiritual movement, I don't believe it's something that's going to happen drastically. It's going to be like in the grand scheme of the universe, it's going to be a very small window of time. But as far as like, from our perspective, it's going to be a couple generations before we reach that point. And, uh, chance from interverse made a good reference. And he said, it's almost like there's a wall and we have to have all these generations continue chiseling at it until it's finally broken down. But that wall is never going to break down if people keep giving up. So you have to keep restarting people to know that their purpose is to break down this wall and continue on into a, into a place that we need to be. Yeah. So I think, you know, for me, I'm looking at it from the perspective of how do we deconstruct the wall and, and, and reconstruct it into something useful. Make it into a bridge to connect to that spiritual world rather than a wall. Exactly. We got plenty of raw material here, guys. Let's use it. <laughs> Let's not just destroy it. We can transmute it, right? Exactly. Um, but there's, of course, some de there's deconstruction that happens with that. Uh, you know, again, this is something that I work with as far as folks with subconscious beliefs. But 
Yes, I, uh, you know, I, I have high hopes. Uh, ironically, the Aquarian age was supposed to start in basically the 60s. And uh, it seems like it got put on hold up until present day, basically. <laughs> I mean, they had a big movement going, but the problem was I feel that the following generation didn't continue that movement. And that was kind of the reference I was making before is that they had the right ideas, everything was going good, but they didn't pass on the knowledge in enough quantity, I guess, to continue breaking down that wall where the other forces on the other side of the wall were able to, you know, sneak a few more bricks and a couple more layers up on the top. And that's kind of where we're at right now is we're starting to kind of push those layers back off and reconnect to where we used to be. And, you know, reconnecting back to where we used to be thousands of years ago where there wasn't a wall, it was that bridge that they broke down that bridge to create this wall. And now we got to break down that wall to recreate this bridge in a better way that that bridge can't be rebroken down again. Yes, you know, I it does seem to be that we're at that point. Ironically, we're also, uh, you know, basically coming out of a zodiacal age that is associated with Capricorn and most, you know, well, maybe not most people know, but the life lesson of that sign in particular has a lot to do with its willingness to let go of the control system that has in place because of its fears uh, and insecurities. <laughs> And it's uh, it's a pretty collective lesson, it seems, for all of us at the moment. <laughs> yeah, because it's one of those things, too, that like kind of going back into the COVID area that people are looking at it from like a smaller picture where they're seeing like, oh, I'm just going to get it because, you know, people around me are, you know, to told me I should get it. But they're not looking at it from a broader picture that they're taking away more rights from the people and letting the powers that be take more control. And like you were saying, I'm glad that our generation was the first one to say no to war because I feel like the continuation of this COVID scenario is mainly the older generations where the younger generations are kind of seeing through the veil and are rebuilding that future. And it may be out of fear, but I, feel, I have always had this concept that almost any negative emotion can have a positive emotion tied to it. So because of out of that fear, it's building passion for people like podcasters or different people that are now willing to speak up that they were afraid, but because of being afraid, now they're not afraid anymore because they know it's their time to speak up where it's kind of like you can only compress something so much before it finally just push, pushes back. Like uh, Hunter S. Thompson had a good reference there's for it. There's a great it, metaphor about that as far as cool and diamonds goes. I, I, there's this other one that I really like that I feel like is falling very well into where we're at with society. It was a Hunter S. Thompson quote. I'm paraphrasing. This isn't the exact quote, but uh, the waves crash and hit the wall. But after a certain point, the the waves start to crash back. Uh, like, like I said, very rough paraphrase, but um, it's the same concept, you know? Yeah, that, well, I, to keep in that mindset, I think, uh, you know, most people forget the power of water in the form of... Uh, you know, patience, basically, yeah, that that wall, I promise you, uh, does not withstand the ocean in the end. Say so even just like the energy transfer that you get from water, I had another guest on recently that was just talking about how uh, like vibrations, electricity, all these things travel so much easier through water that uh, like you were saying, it's almost like losing power within the entire the entirety of all of us by bottling this water and doing these things oh where... I still feel like it's somewhat of a spiritual war where nobody's really looking at it, but there's a, there's a darker intention to the reason why we bottle water. And people thought it was a stupid idea 20 years ago. And now it's the most sold thing in a gas station to bottle and sell your emotions in the form of images and, and slogans and branding. That's what it does. 
That's why I left, didn't want to continue pursuing marketing. I'm incredibly grateful for my ability to do marketing for myself and, you know, a few friends here and there and for it teaching me, showing me how much I absolutely love psychology. But then as I was doing marketing, I was like, I'm really good at psychology and I really hate using it this way. <laughs> this feels like shit. <laughs> That's the truth of it, though, because uh, actually my nieces and nephews were watching this YouTube video and it was basically they would show half a logo and they were so excited that they could guess the logo and they're all like four or five year olds. So it's just like that just shows how brainwashed you are by the system that, you know, all these logos, but you don't know who like Plato is or something, for example, you know, <laughs> No, that's not dissimilar to uh, that was a personal revelation for you. Hopefully it is for the kids one day, too. I had a very simple uh, but powerful personal revelation like five or six years ago when I was working a job and I would go to the same fast food restaurant every day. And one of the times that I went, they actually said through the intercom, you want the, you know, the blank and the blank. Like they already knew. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, that's a bad sign. <laughs> Not dissimilar in context. It's kind of one of those things though, that it's like you have to fall into it in order to realize that there's an error to your actions. Yes. And like, you have to be on the full side of the spectrum in order to see both perspectives. So it's like, everything happens for a reason. You fall into that scenario so that you can see the scenario from another perspective because you have to catch yourself in it. But if you're just looking at it from the, from where you're at, you're never, you're never going to see the error in your way. And that's where you have like the like reoccurring Starbucks people that go to Starbucks every single day. And it's almost like they're a slave to Starbucks, you know? And unfortunately it's like places like that. Um, I heard this scenario today. They're saying that uh, the coffee you just bought that took them two seconds to make is already like, more like close to like half of what they make an hour making the coffee or something like that. And that just shows how like corrupt the system is and that it's just like a big slave to a corporate system. And the disconnect from spirituality has been replaced with materialism and everybody's so in tune with materialism now that it's like you, you, you get pulled into it and you don't even realize that you're into it until you're so far deep that you're just like, Whoa, and you're finally able to step back. I feel like psychedelic plants, for example, are one of those things that help people come to those like realizations of like, wow, what, what am I living in right now? So here's the good question everyone should ask. If you were presented with two shirts that were made by the exact same factory, and the only difference is that, uh, you know, one has a, a brand printing on it, and the difference in price is 30 to $40, which on average is pretty accurate for a brand name t-shirt that is the exact same t-shirt as you know, one sitting on the, uh, on the shelf at another store without that brand on it. Ask yourself if that's really how you want to continue life. That's an expensive and very exploitative uh, and victimized way to live, unfortunately. Those people are so brainwashed too that they don't even see that as necessarily a bad thing. They see it as like society has always told them like, I want to have nice things because I deserve to have nice things. So like they don't understand that logic of thinking because they've been so manipulated by society's brainwashing that they don't see an error to their way. And I guess that's the best way to brainwash somebody is to intune it so deep that even you, even if you wanted to, you couldn't pull them back out of it. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, we, we were talking earlier uh, before the show about how you got your shirt printed, which I hope you show off to show off to the audience at some point. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, there's lots of companies that are uh, coming out at this point where you can like, you can get those same shirts, the, the exact same made shirt as sitting on, uh, you know, the Adidas shelf 
Uh, but instead of having Adidas, you can have like your own artwork on it or another artist's artwork on it or a podcaster's uh, artwork on it or something that, you know, expresses a, uh, a virtue to the world, for example, and that that has far greater value in the apparel industry than uh, symbols that connect and subconsciously integrate in a way where you feel like you have to have them to uh, be worthwhile. It's funny that you made that reference because I've been having this whole back and forth mental, like inner dilemma, I guess you could say with, with my current corporate job as it's becoming more corporate. And so I have a lot of like shirts that have the company's name on it. Cause they just got to hand them to you. And I kind of like, looked. I got my, my first shirt that I made for, for my podcast and I put it next to him and I looked at that one and it was just this weird, overwhelming sense of pride that I felt that yes, this may be like, say a brand name shirt for this company that everybody wants to be part of and they have their culture as they keep liking to use. But like this shirt's me. So it's got so much more personal meaning to it. And I feel like that's the kind of connection that people need to make is don't feel like you need to connect yourself with a bigger brand. But like you were saying, like be your own brand in a sense, like create your own artwork and put that on a fucking t-shirt. Like you don't need to have these great labels. Other people that are, you know, smaller. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even if you add, know, add your own unique uh, sense of, of style and resonance to it. I mean, even even wearing like a podcast shirt or wearing like a shirt for for what you do and stuff like that. It's also like you see an Adidas shirt, for example, like you said, and it's promoting Adidas, so it's promoting that materialistic way of thinking. But if people see people wearing stuff for like podcasts or little local shops or something like that, then it inspires other people to look into those places. So in a way. It's kind of like advertising, but it's like a good form of advertising rather than it being like a materialistic form of advertising. Because even just wearing like a shirt for a podcast, now somebody sees that shirt and say, oh, that's a cool design. Or they see a shirt that you make and they say, oh, it's a really cool design. And they look into it and then it is a possibility that they could be introduced into this whole new concept that they never thought of before. So even just by wearing a different shirt that means something close to you and not just you trying to be part of a big brand name, you can open the door to a whole other belief system for other people that maybe they needed. Right. So the one thing, the one excuse, it's not even really excuse. The one thing I'll say about the Adidas thing is if I walk up to someone and I ask them why they're wearing the Adidas shirt and they can tell me that it's because they align with the purpose and the mission of Adidas and they can actually tell me what that purpose and mission is, that's very different. (laughs) You were intentional about picking that shirt in the company you were supporting. But if you were just buying it for the sake of that symbol, and what you think it means about your self-worth and how other people perceive you, that's the place to think about why you're engaging with that brand. That, that's why it's so different when you engage with buying a brand for someone like a podcaster or for a company that you think is doing a really good job because you know the purpose and mission behind them, you're connected to it and you believe in it. And so it becomes a very different extension of your voice through even your own apparel, uh, a more spiritual experience, a more spiritually expressive and a tune experience through even what you choose to wear on a daily basis when you think about, am I aligned with this or do I just think I need it? That is a very true thing that you say too, because I'm very particular about brands that I wear. Like for example, shoes, you can't really just go out of the way on that one. So I'm very particular about this, about these couple brands of shoes that I buy. And they're all um, like companies that make things out of renewable materials. One of them specifically, they make the soles out of the shoes out of recycled yoga mats. So it's like, I enjoy wearing those shoes because when people ask about them, they may look funny sometimes, like whatever. 
I enjoy the way they look. So it's, you know, all about personal preference, but it opens the door for somebody that's say wearing like the brand new Jordans to, to be like, Oh, they have an option for shoes that are completely biodegradable and friendly to the environment. And I don't have to buy this from this sweatshop. I can, you know, pay a little bit less weirdly enough for this, for this shoe because it's made out of recycled materials and it actually has a good purpose behind it. And when I use it up and I, it's destroyed and I throw it away, at least I know that it's not going to be a rubber sole sitting somewhere forever. You know, they, they have, they make biodegradable materials depending on like the brand you buy and stuff like that. So it's like, of course, if you're going to be interested in a company, make sure it follows your views. So like, the people that are wearing Nike, if you're against sweatshops or under young children being forced to work, like maybe that's not a brand you should be wearing. And just because it's cool to everybody else doesn't mean that you should keep promoting that message because then you're getting back into this reoccurring cycle of like a materialistic world where money comes first rather than the people that are involved and the world that's involved around those products, for example. Like even even like bodily things like, you know, buying uh, say deodorant and stuff like that. And you're buying like chemical based deodorant that has a plastic tube versus buying some baking soda based deodorant that has a cardboard tube. Like Ice coconut oil. Yeah. See little great. things like that make a huge difference. <laughs> I was and saying, by my... way, the only thing, I don't know how many people know this. The only reason that people get those yellow pit stains in shirts is actually because of a chemical reaction that occurs between your sweat or your sweat and the aluminum in deodorant that makes it turn yellow. I was going to say, too, if you read the backs of deodorant, a lot of them say that they're not for everyday use, too, because it blocks your pores with aluminum. So you're putting a harsh metal into yourself. I, uh, I have a lot of friends that have been doing this thing where they say that it's lemon juice. They'll like take lemon and they'll kind of like put a like a lemon slice in their in their armpit and kind of like move it around. And they say that uh, it neutralizes smell and it leaves like a fresh smell. Um, me personally, I know it sounds kind of gross to some people, but I wear just like a T-shirt and I'm like a free sweater, so to speak, because I believe that you're naturally supposed to do that. I am too, for the mo- you know, for the most part. I always do the coconut oil for, um, like, to keep it, um, you know, moist, basically. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, but that the further you get away, the more you detox away from uh, things like the deodorants that have, uh, you know, that keep you from sweating, the more you realize that your body is actually pretty good at keeping things clean and unsmelly. Uh, and that it's also a really, if it, if it does become something that is noticeable or odorous, that that's important information for you about your health. That means like, Hey, you need more water or you need to change something about your diet, or you know, there's a different way that you need to take care of yourself so that that doesn't happen. But when we slab deodorant over it so we can't smell the unwellness that's coming from our own immune system, it doesn't really help us. And that's probably why it's so popular in America is because you know our food is so, they're trying to produce it for the cheapest price possible. They're not worried about what's going in the food. So it's almost like covering up the fact that we're getting poisoned through our food in a sense too. And uh, shrink wrapping things like zucchinis. I saw that in the store today. Why in the world does a zucchini need to be shrink wrapped? I was saying the same thing with an orange. I found an orange (laughs) that was already peeled and it had like a plastic container around it. And I'm like, hmm, if only there was something naturally that was like a package for an orange that you wouldn't have to worry about it getting dirty. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, this is true for most things. The one, the one produce uh, that I still get that I, it's hard for me to find not in uh, like package is mushrooms. 
yep. um, at least where I am, you know, not, not the extra fun kind, just the regular delicious fun kind, <laughs> but uh, that, you know, even those can be hard to find in a, in a space where you can just like bring your own bag or whatever. Um, but I hope, you know, it, I hope that our obsession with the, the fear-based controls, even in the sense of why we're shrink wrapping a zucchini or an orange in the store is something that, uh, you know, we as a collective really start to calm down about and realize we're doing, we actually are doing more harm than good with it anyway. It's kind of like the whole thing with COVID with the overkill on hand sanitizer that people don't realize that because they're killing off all these beneficial things, it's making it so their immune system is way worse where by trying to eliminate the problem, you're creating more of a problem and you're making yourself more susceptible because you don't have contact with different things and your body can't correct itself. So Even we learned this in the 90s with antibiotics, <laughs> by the way, that most people don't realize and most doctors don't tell people, which they should, that if you take a course of antibiotics, you should be very certain to try and reestablish your, uh, you know, the, the microbiome of your G, uh, GI tract afterward because that plays a huge role in your mind-body connections and your ability to feel well, mentally and physically. You know, it's funny you say that too, is because I've seen this transition happen where there's things that are becoming more popular, like kombucha and stuff like that. And actually I'm drinking this like sparkling probiotic drink right now. Not that you can see it because I have the camera kind of weird, but uh, it's kind of cool that we're like reconnecting in a way with things like that, that we need because it's, it's going strictly, of course, to your gut health and rebalancing your gut. And it's nice that we're kind of getting to a point where everybody's kind of pushing back, like you said, that uh, we don't want all these chemicals in our food and our things that we consume. We want to go back to having like things as they're intended to be and as natural base as possible without all these artificial things. Like I've been on this kick where I avoid high fructose corn syrup. Uh, I probably I don't think I've had anything. Very little you can buy at a regular grocery store then. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I've been not stuck even at. To, not even tortilla chips, probably. <laughs> like I, I eat a shit ton of fruit and I eat a shit ton of vegetables personally. Of course, I eat like meat and stuff like that. I try to look for like better versions of meat, like local meat markets and stuff where it's, uh, you know, like local farmers and they just raise their cattle and stuff better. It's not just intended to be for just everybody just dies. You know, it's. um. Oh, man, there's all sorts of micro macro relationships as far as livestock agriculture, too, and, and the mindsets and prisons we've uh, placed ourselves in in the corporate worlds and cubicles that we live in. And again, it's all on purpose, too, because there's this whole pull where, you know, you see movies and what happens when you're in the middle of the woods. There's a bunch of like, you know, backwoods type people that are going to get you and the place for safety is in the city. And they have all these ideas that they're like, oh, don't go to the middle of the woods because there's wild animals and all this kind of stuff. It's, again, going back to the same concept, trying to separate us from nature and push us into these cities and into these cubicles and being into this life where we're just another cog in the system. Well, we all have choices. And that's just as much a part of the spiritual lesson as anything else. That uh, the reality is, at the end of the day, there is no us versus them. There is just self-teaching and learning to self. You know, the, the more we create an enemy in the exterior world, the more we're rejecting a part of ourself, whether we like it or not. I talk about this with folks around, you know, the concept of money, for example, that if you uh, have subconscious beliefs or beliefs around people who have lots of money being inherently bad or immoral, that you're also subconsciously constantly pushing wealth away from yourself, because what you're telling your subconscious mind is that wealth is, is inherently wrong or immoral. And so you have to be willing to even let go of some of the, you know, uh, a lot of us want to look at people like that and, and 
feel like the us versus them thing with it, but that, that that's still a victim mentality and it doesn't give you a sense of power. It places a present definition of you not being in power. Why not use your words, belief, and uh, language in your own mind to state that you are powerful and there's no one that can, uh, you know, subvert you or change your mind or your spirit around what's right for you. That's the kind of stuff I try to teach people, honestly, is that, you know, one, you're still giving them your time, energy, and attention. The universe and consciousness don't know the difference. It's still time, energy, and attention. The more you talk about uh, a Bezos or a Tesla, whether it's in a kind context or an unkind context, the more you're empowering them. The universe mm -hmm. doesn't know the difference. But a lot of people don't think about that. Because by the way, the other thing that would be better to do with most people's minds is to think about what you do want from reality, because this is constantly shaping it. So if you take the time to say, okay, I'm going to stop thinking about the things that I think I don't want and the things that make me angry, and instead master my mind to the point that I am being intentional about thinking about what I do want, that's the biggest impact. And that's the most hopeful impact I have for us as a collective to to be that change we want to create in the world through our mindsets and by stopping giving so much time and attention to these folks, even when it's in the context of uh, the nemesis mindset. I think it's one of those things too, that uh, like going into like manifestation, so to speak, um, that people want something to happen instantly or they expect some type of radical thing to happen in front of them, not realizing that it's more of like an end game thing too, where in a way by manifesting all these ideas of like celebrities and that people love these celebrities they're actually empowering them more and taking more power away from themselves kind of like you were saying where if you put that energy and time into yourself and i always use this concept where i say as soon as you put a cap on yourself that's going to be your cap you can't say like i can't do this you can't say like this is as far as i'm going to go you kind of just like have to let things work out on their own because even in the sense of like manifesting if you start manifesting a bad idea or self-doubting yourself then you know, you're going to be essentially pushing forces against yourself. It's almost like pushing up against a wall. You're not going to go anywhere with it because you just you put your stop your own stopping point within your own destiny, in a sense. Yeah. And so what's fascinating about, uh, you know, the mind as far as manifestation goes is that it is the subconscious mind that shapes the most as far as manifestation. And so that means it's basically centered around our emotions and what, we, you know, what our senses are about things. Uh, so no matter what you say through your conscious mind, if you have a subconscious belief that overrides it, that's connected to, uh, you know, uh, a highly, let's say, egoic emotional response based on information that comes in, that's the thing that will take over instead of the conscious thing. So people have to be mindful that one, you're going to have to practice it and two, you're going to have to be, you know, intentional with it and that at first, it's also just about negating or neutralizing some of the existing mindsets and thought patterns that have been present, that you're not necessarily going to get anything right away because you have to bring yourself back to the middle way. You have to bring yourself back to neutral first so that you can decide which way your thoughts and mind uh, are going. But that for many of us, you have to use things like affirmations um, or prayer or mantras or whatever it is, ritual to help bring those existing belief systems that were sort of foie gras into you from a very young age, mm. force fed to a place where, you know, okay, this thought happens, I'm going to say the exact opposite of it. So now my mind has to open up and go, wait a minute, both of these are possible. And once that happens, you come back to this more central point of mindset that is actually more open minded and realizes that all potentials are possible and that the mastery comes in 
oh, I'm going to observe myself in my own mind and I'm going to choose which thought patterns that I move into. But there's got to be that first, uh, you know, practice point that a lot of people don't want to do, which is to take the responsibility to really own not thinking those thoughts anymore or engaging in those activities or habits or, you know, partaking of certain information um, or certain storylines. You know, for me, it was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, emo music (laughs) that I still have a strong love for, but that I left behind because I realized that I was just consuming my sadness because it made me felt affirmed and then it compounded it. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned that because I've been telling a lot of my friends about that lately. Well, um, I have a couple of people at work. I'm, I just turned 28 recently. Uh, they're like younger twenties and stuff. So they listen to stuff like, uh, like little peep and stuff, for example. And they're always like in a depressed mind state. And I am always telling them like, you think it makes you happy, but frequency has a big factor on your reality. So if you're hearing these sad things all the time, you're creating sadness within yourself. It's almost like you take the words away from the music and you still feel the emotion of the music. So on a subconscious level, you're connecting with it. So in turn, you're, you're creating your reality around you by the sad things that you listen to. And coming from another person too, that I listen to a lot of hip hop um, and I was a huge fan of it. And then I kind of started getting into like the podcasting and listening to this kind of stuff. And I almost realized that like as enjoyable as it is, it's almost uh, like diluting to the mind that you're like poisoning your mind with these like angry thoughts. Like I was telling my friend the other day that all the like hype music that he likes to listen to, as he says, um, like you get hype and you get like into it and stuff. But I was telling him like the beat that you're hearing is subconsciously making you angry. That's why you're getting hype and you want to punch and hit things is because it's not making you happy on a subconscious. It may be making you happy in the foresight, yeah. but in the background, your subconscious is not happy because it's hearing these certain frequencies and certain notes and certain feelings that's resonating on a deeper level. And that's why you're feeling these feelings that you don't quite know how to explain. And there's a lot of manipulation within music. Uh, with that being said, I feel, and it plays yeah, a so impact the, on that. There is a ritualistic and intentional sense in which you could engage in something that brings up, uh, you know, the fire in you. We won't even necessarily call it anger at an elemental level. It's it's the fire inside of you. So dance is a huge one. Um, you know, if you are someone who works at, at the gym, if you have a way to physically express that fiery, uh, like strong. Uh, really highly emotive energy, you know, be mindful of the words that are being used, obviously, because some words are just meant to be harmful. And that's something to be conscious of too. But, you know, this is from a native tradition sense, this, these are warrior dances, right? There's no reason that you can't take some of the uh, modern culture and apply that sort of ritualistic sensation within yourself to it in knowing, hey, when I hear this song, I really like, I feel strong and I want to do these uh, movements in a really ritualistic and emotionally expressive way. That's a beneficial way you can engage with it because then you're transmuting energy, especially energy uh, like anger into something that's giving you physical, creative um, expressiveness that you can feel like proud of with yourself. But if you're just going to sit there and listen to really sad songs because you're really sad, Guess what's going to keep happening? You know, it's funny you say that too. I keep feeling sad. <laughs> it's funny you say that too, because uh, I'm also a big fan of reggae. And a lot of the time, like before I do certain podcasts, I'll listen to reggae on purpose because it's happy, but at the right. same time, it's rebellious music. So it gets me in this mindset to get my point across in a way that's not aggressive, but also, you know, having that political 
mind sense of like you have you have like a message and you have a thing that you're trying to do and it kind of gets you in that tone and mood and that's i feel again like you were saying a lot of music there's an intention to it and there's a purpose and it's kind of got lost along the way but uh, if you figure out what that certain specific frequency or type of music's purpose is you can ideally use it for for a good thing like you were saying like you can use that fire to like you know say you have to do a lot of lifting or you know you work a laborer job you can listen to like aggressive music and it won't necessarily dilute your mind because you're able to use that energy like you were saying yeah you're able to consciously like give it a space in the world now that being said if the ang- if it's angry in the sense that like all the words in it are highly degradatory and mean you know that's very different than uh things that uh still have a sense of expressing uh, a strong message through a strong beat and strong words, but they don't necessarily have to be derogatory or highly unkind um, or uh, objectifying, for example. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with that concept. Um, I mean, as far as like hip hop goes, I feel like there's a lot of like words that unfortunately have rooted themselves deeply into hip hop, but they, the hate will never go away between every group of people unless like certain words don't get used by anybody like kind of like leave those specific words in the past um even with the whole like you know calling women bitches kind of concept like i'm not a big fan of that concept and it's an idea that should be left in the past especially as we progress into the society that we're in we're realizing that everybody is equal so just hearing music where you're hearing that kind of terminology it's promoting a whole new generation to almost see like women as something that like are under them, for example, just because of the music they're listening to. And even if they don't realize it, it's impacting them on a subconscious level. And I've said that music is one thing and words are another thing. And I like using this reference that words are almost like alchemy, that you can change somebody's perspective with your words. And the beat and the music may mean one thing, but if the words mean something else, then it's almost creating like a like a cross spell, so to speak, that you know, you feel this thing and then it's also diluting your mind with their own thoughts rather than you hearing the music and creating your own thoughts to the music, so to speak. Uh, So one of the really beautiful things about the modern uh, age and and the technology we've created is that it's made a lot of space for independent artistry within things like hip hop and the music industry. And people are starting to realize that what was uh, bottled and sold as hip hop culture was made by people who are not even a part of that sect of society and never have been and have never understood it. And so now it's to a point where, you know, you can go on SoundCloud, for example, or even through Instagram and find all sorts of completely independent artists that haven't had to sign with a record label who is, you know, kind of enforcing what their voice is supposed to say within uh, these formats of music. So I think you know, it's all that whole concept of it's always darkest before the dawn is sort of upon us in the sense that Technology has been used very exploitatively, but to the point where now there's no turning it back. They can't take back the fact that technology is the thing that's made us so connected as a collective now to the point that, you know, we know that we are the more powerful uh, format that exists on the planet, that the people, the collective humanity is the thing that decides how we're moving forward, um, you know, with life and humanity and ecology and those things. But we need to keep waking people up to that, basically. It's almost like a technology renaissance, as I like like to see it, where uh, now because of the fact that they let so much of the cat out of the bag, now they can't put it back. So you have like, they'll, they'll talk down about things like Rumble, for example, or Rockfin and stuff like that, saying that they're not 
making profit. They're not worth it. They're not as much money as like Twitter and well, stuff I'm like sure that. I'm sure that they example. hope they imbue that belief into reality, but we all know we have a choice point with that, don't we? <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it was never about that too. That's the other perspective they're not seeing is that Twitter, for example, was intended to be marketed and to make money off of, but like things like Rumble and Rockfin and even just like uploading, say, your music on YouTube, for example, it's creating this, you're, you're, deli- you're getting rid of the middleman and it may not look like it's as profitable, but it was never about profit. It's about the matter of artistic expression where it doesn't matter if the platform doesn't make a dollar, if the community on it is a tight knit community and they're expressing their message, it was never about money in the first place. And that's a lot, that's a huge perspective. I feel a lot of people don't see as far as like this movement's going. Right. So what's fascinating about this too is that, you know, basically we're at a point where people have realized that the decentralized web is happening soon and that there aren't going to be, you know, governments who can keep certain uh, people, you know, their, their people away from information, the more uh, the decentralized web comes around. So I'm, I'm super hopeful for all the things that are happening with that. I think it's kind of, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all the things that are also connected to the decentralized web are, again, this format of technology that, thank God for it, because it's helping us move away from the existing uh, economic structures that haven't been serving us, because it isn't in a format that can be controlled by one government uh, or, you know, financial institution. I mean, a good way to kind of perceive it is that it's almost like a where the internet's going now, as far as like our community would be, is almost like the say like pirate radio type people, where it's like now a legal version of pirate radio, where you don't have to worry about uh, you know being arrested because you're diluting the airwaves with your own message. It's like it's again letting the cat out of the bag now that they were trying to make the internet be a certain way, but people found a way to manipulate around it, where we com- completely found a way to have full freedom of speech and nobody can touch it. And even with podcasts and stuff with having RSS feeds, like you can stop one feed, but it's not going to stop the other 40 websites that it's on. <laughs> no, the funny thing is that the thing that the government feared most is what they manifested, because guess what? They thought about it the most. See, and that's so, why we have to keep our positive mindset. <laughs> you got to keep manifesting it into a positive mindset. No, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, I, th- I hope people kind of use that as the example, because the government has been uh, manifesting things it didn't want out of fear for a long time. Even though waking up during COVID and stuff, (laughs) I'm sure that they didn't manifest that people were going to wake up during, uh, well, they were afraid probably that people were going to catch on to 9-11 and they were going to catch on to COVID. And that's why there's been such a big awakening is because they manifested their own destiny, unfortunately, through trying to have sadistic means. And even just COVID completely backfired on them because they were trying to make it so everybody was more compliant. And what happened? More podcasts, more free speech type people, more artists. They emerged more than any other time in history, I swear just all because of this internet concept that we all got pushed into sitting in our houses and we had the ability to actually sit there and critique our arts. Yeah, I mean, that is the nature of the universe. The more you try to make something not something, the more likely it is to be, honestly. <laughs> so they, they didn't learn it, but we can all learn it and utilize it. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I work with clients on that every day and I feel blessed to, you know, I already know that I have fulfilled my purpose, but I feel very blessed to keep fulfilling my purpose by continuing to wake people up to the truth of, of what they are. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and that there is great purpose in each of us. 
as small as it may seem based on how society defines things such as success or wealth or purpose at an individual level, if it feels like something that resonates with you and you experience a sense of flow state with it, it feels natural, it just happens for you, that's the thing you're meant to do in this world. Um, but getting people to wake up to what it feels like to actually have the senses to identify that is an important factor of it. And another important factor of it is getting them to shut down being so concerned with, you know, trying to take down the enemy. <laughs> the, the easier thing to do is to uplift yourself, put all your energy, your magic, your intention, your consciousness, your belief uh, into you, and you'd be surprised what happens. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, that's what we we're just talking about that not that you would want the bad powers that be to do good for themselves, but because they, weren't thinking about their own intention, but they were worried about the other people's intentions. That's what manifested itself. So we need to keep that opposite mindset going forward. Yeah, focus your own attention on you and, and you know the hopes you see for the world, your purpose, um, what you can do at a micro to have a better macro reflection. Like I, uh, I brought this up in a podcast the other day, but there are a lot of people who sit there being mad at the government for not being completely honest with the American people but if they ask themselves if they're honest people or if they hide things from a lot of people in their life, you know, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. You don't get to be mad at the government for lying and keeping secrets if you're someone who constantly lies and keeps secrets. <laughs> see, I feel like a lot of us had that realization and that's where I keep going back to podcasters, but a lot of us felt that way and felt that we needed to turn it into action. And that's, I guess, what we're doing. Yeah. Even if just 10 people listen to this, that's a good path that even not even on a conspiracy level, but somebody's moving towards spirituality, you know, and it's oh, of course, manifesting I, a good message. I mean, it's funny. Everyone's heard of that whole six degrees of separation thing. I like to call it six degrees of connection. So if you read, if this even reaches six people, apparently it's reached everyone on some level. <laughs> Very true. And then so they I, tell so a friend I, about I it. I know that I've changed the life of at least six clients at this point. And so I'm like, yep. Now I just wait and see. <laughs> hey, even if they don't see it directly, though, they could take your words and your mannerisms and they use it in there every day. And then they connect with somebody. And it's almost like that seedling effect that exactly. one person spreads to this person, spreads to this person. And they may not know that it's your face behind that message, but your message is still getting spread all the same. And that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. It's, it's not message, about getting credit for yes, it. It's about, exactly. Yeah. The message is what matters the most. And that's why I do so many podcasts like this, honestly. Um, one, because I want people who hear this and get interested in wanting to have guidance, uh, to feel like they have a space that's willing to have some of these conversations. You know, I think a lot of people think that these topics are off, uh, off the table for therapy and they're not, you know, they're things to bring up in therapy. And if you're with a therapist who makes you feel uncomfortable speaking to some of these ideologies or philosophies or, or personal belief systems, you deserve to have a therapist that, uh, you know, is open to your sense of, of the world and how you share what you believe so that they can work with you on it um, or help you see, you know, shadow work areas for yourself or integration areas for yourself. Um, but if you don't have that trusting rapport, you can't have it. So I hope that, you know, part of the reason I go on these shows too is because I want people to understand that, you know, therapists are people too, and we have beliefs also, but we also tend to have pretty open minds uh, you know, maybe not all of us, but I certainly have a very open mind and that I hope that helps people feel more comfortable about 
you know, speaking about some of these things, even in therapy, instead of feeling like it's too woo or it's too out there um, to bring up as a part of your, you know, mental and spiritual wellness routine. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that too. There definitely needs, like I said, it needs to be a better connection with spirituality as far as the rest of the world goes. But going to anybody out there that's listening, um, there, there's been a lot of us that have felt like black sheeps at certain points in our life. I'm sure you have. I'm sure I, I have definitely. It's more like a goat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's all about, uh, you know, just know at the end of the day that there's a lot of like-minded people out there that are willing to have these conversations. And uh, a lot of us in this community, you know, we may not have to come on a podcast, but just because we're so into these conversations, like we're more than willing to sit down and have a conversation with you, just like what she was saying. So don't feel like you're alone out there. Know that there is a community that understands you. And all you have to do is just make that contact with this community. And it may seem like it's something that's so far away, but a lot of people forget that a lot of us in this community are just normal people. We're not anybody famous. We're not celebrities. We're not anything. Like all you got to do is shoot us a message and you could be entered into this community and stop feeling like the black sheep that you feel like. Well, that's far more purposeful and impactful in the world in a beneficial way than the other relationship is. So, exactly. So I guess, I guess uh, you're we're not going as on. As small as you describe yourself. <laughs> Very true. Um, so I guess we're going on to about uh, two hours or so now. So uh, I guess I'll start doing my little bit of a little bit of a wrap up. One thing I always like to ask people before we leave the show is, is there any words of wisdom that you would like to give anybody before before we close out? Uh, the only words of wisdom I would have to share with folks is to listen to learn to listen to your own wisdoms. Wisdom is a very internal, intuitive, personal, synchronistic process that you have to have the mental space to be able to observe. Uh, so if your life is filled with things that make it hard to hear those inner wisdoms and trust them and follow through on them, I hope that one, you'll reach out to me um, or at least you know to someone who can help you think about how to uh, more deeply connect with the wisdoms that already reside within you. Um, but that other than that, I just hope that folks uh, open themselves up to making daily life a little bit more spiritual that it, you know, it can be as simple as having your coffee in the morning and listening to the birds outside and just uh, seeing where it lets your mind take you. And I always say too, don't let outside sources affect your method of thinking. Only you can decide what you think. Yes. So if something doesn't make sense to you, don't follow it blindly. Follow what makes the most sense to you because that's what is true to you. But I guess before we leave here too, would you like to tell everybody where they can, where they can find you again? And I'll of course add the links down at the bottom. Yes, uh, so you can find my uh, more information about Moon and Rune Wellness, my integrative therapy practice at moonandrune.com. And on that website, um, there's a section that's called, uh, you know, wellness sessions. And that basically talks about many of the different formats of therapy and healing modalities that I use in session. Um, but there's also a section called self-discovery that has all sorts of things that I've written as blog posts, but also um, resource links to other things as well, to just open people's minds up to different ideologies or maybe just change their perception about how the world works so that they can start thinking for themselves a little bit more deeply. Um, one of those resource links is actually to the free online Nag Hammadi library, which I don't know, I don't know if a lot of people uh, know that that is a thing, but it is. And there's all sorts of, uh, you know, spiritual texts and scriptures on that space and on that website that most people have not been given uh, the privilege of having access to in their life. And you might find some things that deeply resonate with you in those, uh, in those stories and in those resources that I hope will catalyst to 
a more spiritual uh, understanding of self. And then on social media, folks can find me uh, at Moon and Rune Wellness is my business account. And then I have a personal account, Mira Taylor Wellness. Uh, and I share most things across both. Uh, and a lot of it, I share things like Zen cones for folks to use as mindfulness tools. I share mindfulness exercises as well as just uh, basic, uh, you know, sort of educational things to share with folks on a daily basis. And then on my personal one, sometimes you know, there's some stuff I'll share my art um, or, you know, when I'm going skateboarding or, you know, whatever I'm doing with my daily life that I think people might find interesting. <laughs> I really, really appreciate you coming on to the show today. I hope that one day you'll come back. Um, I'm sure oh, of course. People would love to hear from you more. I definitely would love to hear from you more. This has been Inquiries of Our Reality. I hope that no matter where you are in the world, that this resonated to you and that you have a great night. Thank you, everybody. If anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic question for the show, or has anything they feel they can contribute to the show, please send me an email at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. If you'd like to donate to the show so I can eventually do this as a full-time thing, please check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash inquiriesofourrealitypodcast. And of course, follow me on social media for updates on the show. For Instagram, it's going to be www.instagram.com slash inquiriesofourreality. And for Facebook, it's going to be www.facebook.com slash inquiries of our reality podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.